Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's so cold, but it's time to wind up for the gaming week. Now, you can't go a day or two without something horrible happening in the news in regards to layoffs and all sorts of different, the ground underneath us shaking. Now, I did a news on um, something yesterday on the amount of the state of Sony. I've been keeping up with this, and we are going to dive into various news stories, talking points across the industry. I haven't even introduced us. Going into this, shooting from the hip. I'm Scott Tilbert. That's you and Patterson. How are you doing? It's really cold in here, Scott. <laughs> it is very, very cold. We're recording remotely at the minute because our own roof is being repaired at the office so I sort of scattered a bit there's mold and cobwebs and at some point Spider-Man's going to come in to deal with it but (laughs) <laughs> Mold man, but not just yet. Um, but yeah, the we're going to open on... Um, well, I wanted to just touch on the stuff that's happening with Bungie because that broke last night. Even though I did do a news yesterday on everything that's happening over at Sony, apparently um, the reality of what happened to Connie Booth was that she was fired, at least according to God of War creator David Jaffe and the sources within Sony that have talked to him. Um, but it seems like Sony have got all this stuff going on with their push towards live services, making formerly single-player associated developers move on to multiplayer projects and a lot of internal strife that happened with that. Um, and then last night... Tonight, um, at 5pm UK time, it was reported by Jason Schreier that um, Bungie are the latest company to have a whole bunch of layoffs, including various veteran um, staff members and including legendary composer Michael Salvatore, the dude that helped, um, uh, I can't even think of the dude's name. Mario Donnell? Marty O'Donnell do um, you know the composing over on Halo and then Salvatore was responsible for Destiny as well um, he's had to update his personal website that just says gone fishing um, because it seems like overall <laughs> that's the way to do it really it is um, but it seems like overall these people were given very little um, notice ahead of time of what was going to happen tons of Bungie staff over on social media on Twitter just saying, has anyone got any work? Because it's very much, um, you know, last minute stuff. So I don't know what the hell's going on with Sony. We have another um, news story regarding PlayStation sales to get into, but just quick thoughts on the general state of things at the minute. It's just rotten. It really is rotten, yeah. isn't it? I feel like how many layoffs, are, like layoff news, newses have mm-hmm. like come out over the last couple of months and for like a, a massive studio like Bungie, which PlayStation only bought, was it last year? It was, apparently it's been 15 months. So yeah, it's year and a half. It's just Ish. really, it's just I can't I can't say any other word to describe it. It might just be mm. how every, how grey everything is currently, how wet and miserable things feel. It's just depressing. It really is depressing <laughs> that all these talented people who you know have been roped into this big studio apparatus, the publisher apparatus mm-hmm. again. Um, you'd think that they'd get extra security from that, and yet even with profits going ridiculously well, you know, mm-hmm. PlayStation says, the, literally the other day was like, oh, we're expecting the PlayStation 5 like sales this this quarter and next year to be like the best, the best ever. Um, yeah. It's like, even with that, even with that kind of backing and grounding, um, 
their jobs aren't safe. Like I just yeah. the the bungee side of things because like obviously I haven't been with them since almost the very beginning. I didn't. I wasn't. I never played Marathon um, or the original stuff that they did over on on Apple computers or whatever. But like been there since the Halo days. And it's like they did all of Halo. They didn't want to do Halo Reach, and they ended up doing an extra Halo game. Um, and then they broke away and they became independent. They did Destiny for Activision, and then they, apparently that was a living hell. And then they broke away from that. They became independent, but they kept the IP. And I remember the um, at the time it was Jason Schreier as well reporting for Kotaku that there were like pop champagne cork and cheering and celebrations that they were able to break away from the Activision model whilst keeping Destiny and then Destiny had a way better run for a good few years and it was like okay cool you guys have you have, you have your own destiny in your hands that's great and then it was insane when they signed with playstation and it was just like but the only the assumption that you do that is obviously to fund bigger projects or whatever you want to do that you couldn't do beforehand and then you know to then lose veteran staff to then lose the people who had stuck around that long um just seems like a massive shame i was watching um, alana pierce's breakdown of just how many people have been let go um and it's over six thousand people across the industry at the minute um which i think she said accounts for a, it might be about 30 or maybe it's less than that percent of um of the industry staff um across this yeah kind of thing especially across the last month as well um and there are various websites now tracking this stuff because every other day there's another story about just how many people are being let go um but it's just a shame like if bungie and sony can't make it work if naughty dog are losing contractors and then bungie are losing staff as well um to me it kind of shines a light on like yes this has been this has been an incredible year for gaming but i do wonder about how much the sales are actually there like how much you know like let's say there's 20 must-play games this year. I don't think the average person is keeping up with even half of that. I think they're playing a fraction of that. Um, and the only thing I have to go off is I, I, did, I put a tweet out just asking people, are you actually keeping up with this stuff? And most people were saying, no, I'm picking one game every sort of few weeks. And it's the same for the people that I talk to in real life as well. Um, what's your general thoughts on that? Do you think people are actually keeping up? Well, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Because we're told how well games are selling in certain areas, but I think it is a case that people are being more selective. Like, you know, mm. we're getting like cost of living, inflation, wage aren't appreciating as you know quickly as as everything is inflated over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. you know 10 years ago for a brand new game you'd be looking at paying 40 pounds or like 49.99 the absolute like if you were going to like some if you weren't making a wise purchasing decision (laughs) and you were going to a store that didn't have that that normal kind of set benchmark or whatever um it is it is it's something that's peculiar to me because i think we've we've spoken about this a lot recently and i don't Mm -hmm. know whether this is Mostly, you know, maybe a sales thing, you know, gaming is becoming an elite hobby in a great many ways, you know, to keep up with all the latest hardware, you need to have a pretty decent income to make sure that you're keeping up with stuff. I think I I do wonder if this is the yeah a case of impatient investors and the fact that, you know, they are waiting so long for these returns to come through, like, you know. It, gaming is a unique medium in the sense that you could literally be working on a game for close to a decade now mm. and that's a long time to wait for the, for the payoff there so I don't know what is going on right now Scott I think mm-hmm. I, I don't think the numbers are necessarily unclear I still think clearly there is a lot of money like it's the most profitable entertainment industry on, on the planet yeah, you know true. so to me this is all just it's it's all just a little bit bizarre and i do wonder mm-hmm. if it's a case of the fact that things are taking so long to tick over and get to a point where a project initiated in 20 whatever mm-hmm. becomes viable financially in 20 whatever like mm-hmm. however, however many years down the line i don't know if that's the driving cause behind this because gaming the gaming industry is quite a migratory industry in of itself you know developers artists whatever they they're constantly moving in between different studios and mm-hmm. stuff but this is like the these are long-term employees foundational employees that have been around at these companies for so long so 
it hints to me as, as there be there is some kind of deeper rot that isn't being addressed here, and I don't know whether it's it's just greed, and I don't mm. know if it's just the fact that maybe things aren't as sustainable as we think they are. Mm. Either way, it just sucks for these people who you know, especially people who have been with these companies for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, the thing is, like, not to go like because it, it's a huge like talking point. It's very much omnipresent. Like some of the things that stood out, like uh, like Media Molecule had layoffs last week, and that to some degree made a bit more sense in terms of like dreams did not take off whatsoever in terms of how long that game took to put together. But then there's also I was looking at um, Lamplighters League, which is on Game Pass. That's the next game from Hebrew. Oh, that looks really. Too. That's I'm really jealous that Xbox it's really cool. That one, like yeah. <laughs> that's a nice little game. Like it's like half stealth game. But then you go into um, a turn-based sort of strategic combat like XCOM, um, and it's. A nice little type game adventure 1930s yeah yeah and it's like that but that had very very little to no marketing and it's like that was one of those like sob story kind of write-ups where it was just like they knew the game they knew they had to have layoffs before they even hit launch because of just how badly it was all coming together across the development and that's just such a shame like hairbrain are an incredible studio um and it was just one of those things where like it like the fact that they could they know it months in advance i think is just you know what the hell does that feel like to work on where it's just a weird um March towards the launch date or whatever, but yeah, very much an omnipresent thing. Um, and speaking speaking of console sales, I want to talk about um, the, this comes from a French outlet called Ludostria, who are reporting that the PS5 has outsold the combined sales of the Xbox Series S and Series X nine to one. Um, they call the Xbox side of things catastrophic. Um, now this comes to, there's a metro right catastrophic. Catastrophic. I had to do it. To it do has it. to be Clear done. So style. As well, you should. Um, but yeah, so this um, is a write-up over on Metro, but the original report is from uh, Ludostrier. Um, that's me guessing how to pronounce Ludostrier as well. I think that's right. Um, but um, they uh, report on in the Ludostrier report that Microsoft apparently makes very little effort to push the Xbox in France. Um, locals claim that Xbox marketing is almost non-existent. Um, apparently, they put very little effort into localization overall with poorly translated games. And even the Xbox UI is now infamous amongst, um, amongst French fans. Um, Metro say that they were... Um, Lucky to get French voiceovers in Starfield as Microsoft didn't bother with an Italian dub um, either, despite Bethesda producing one for its previous games. So that's kind of like a whole separate story. But I think the the sale, the console sales don't surprise me that much. It feels like PlayStation and Nintendo are just way far out in advance um, or in the lead. But nine to one is insane. Like, I don't really think you're going to claw that back. No, and it's interesting that they're approaching it from that angle on localization as well, because I think that's something that we as English speakers probably don't think about a lot. Mm, And if mm -hmm. Xbox, obviously the bulk of sales, like I I don't know the percentages exactly, the bulk of, you know, these these market sales will be in North America, will be in, you know, the United States and Canada. Um, Mm. But it is interesting that, you know, seemingly lagging behind in other areas and it, yeah not doing localizations like that seems again that's the first time i've ever heard that being done mm-hmm. um that's that that would be a decent explanation for them losing ground but the issue with that is if you're not doing localizations well um this is like a generational battle they're losing even more and it's kind of got tying into that narrative that uh, phil spencer kind of articulated the other the other month where he was basically like oh yeah no we lost in 20 uh, 2012 and, yes. and then we're just gonna just keep being like oh, 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 which <laughs> is just stupid i don't know i feel like it's not at all surprising that you know the playstation brand continues to, to basically pummel xbox in its sleep mm. uh, the way things went with the last generation um mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know it, it kind of ties back into these conversations that we've been having over the last few months of what does the future of xbox look like how are we feeling mm-hmm. and to just go back to that point you made on lamplighters league because that was a game pass title as well wasn't it yep um 
is this having a negative impact as well? Because like obviously Starfield, big big game, obviously came out on on, on Game Pass. That was like a huge momentum, but that is like a standalone thing too. There's something like Lamplighters League. When you have Game Pass and you're just basically dumping titles on Game Pass, are we having? Mm. Are we now going to have to have the same conversation that we that you know as, as a film person or uh, kind of has with like streaming services like Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime? Are we devaluing these experiences to basically just be quote unquote content that mm. goes onto a streaming service that we then forget about and is completely disposable? There is all sorts of different aspects of Xbox's business model currently, which mm. do, just do not appeal to my instincts as someone who plays video games yeah. um, but obviously there must be some business sense behind it but at the same time they seem to be conceding that everything isn't working so <laughs> i don't even know scott this whole thing just kind of feels like they've gone so far down this one hole now mm-hmm. and they're, they're keeping they're, they're putting more and more time into it but as we can see from this report it's clearly not working and, and like Mine... abandoning localization that's so bizarre yeah, and it's, that's like a whole territory that is apparently incredibly underserved. My thing is just like, well, I always think of all three big players in the industry, like Nintendo, and we can talk about this as well, you can all kind of fold this in, that like their latest patterns for the next Switch have apparently leaked, although it hasn't been fully confirmed yet by most uh, more reputable sources. Um, but it seems like the next Switch model is a, is a two-part system that connects together. You have some portion of the system that you take with you um, on the go, and then you have something else that it connects to when you're back at home. And um, apparently they're doing away with the, the, the Switch dock, but I think it'll still have the same functionality. You'll plug it into something that'll put it on your TV or whatever. Um, but that's kind of, Nintendo are always off on their own little island. And I, I always love that for, I love them for that. I love that they're just not bothered about chasing, um, you know, big sort of AAA over the top kind of graphical presentation stuff. You will get more Mario, we'll get more Zelda, maybe we'll get a Star Fox. Um, and so that's kind of interesting in terms of where they are. Sony, um, like I mentioned at the beginning, have all these layoffs and all this different um, planning stuff. It's all over the place where Jim Ryan was the guy saying they want to ha- he wants to have 12 live service games in, in motion by 2026. And now the dude's not even going to be there to oversee any of it. And a veteran producer who was there for over three decades has left, assumedly or apparently, because of that decision. And so there's all that stuff. And then on the Microsoft side, the acquisition finally went through. They have Call of Duty, they have Activision, and they have all these titles to, to put on this monthly service. But if you can't guarantee that mid-budget stuff is even going to be seen by everybody and you're underperforming so much in key areas or in certain areas, then that's insane in itself. Like, all we can be as commentators, but, like, as a point in time and a point in gaming history, the, this year has been such a weird back and forward. Like, there's so much stuff that, that um, demands the spotlight and there are so many phenomenal games this year of all different production tiers. But the layoffs are greater than they've been in the past. And it's one of those things that it just makes me wonder what the hell next year is going to look like. Does everybody calm down a bit and just focus on something else? Or do we keep trying to make these giant plays for live services and monthly services? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. I feel like, again, with going back to film, it just feels like we're in a big transitional ruction mm. point in these industries right now. The way that entertainment is being, you know, digested, um, how it's being made, you know, we're going to talk about AI in a little bit as well. Mm. It just, it feels like a very bizarre time where, you know, things are, there are a lot of successes, but it's Mm. punctuated by human misery. And then also like, you know, just like, I don't know, Scott, I'm I'm feeling very glum today, which probably isn't helping (laughs) things in general. It's because our roof's falling in. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, I find this whole thing, like it's almost feels like Xbox is on autopilot right now. And it's just kind of just like, yeah, 
you know, yeah. Well, like the um, the leaked stuff from um, Phil Spencer's emails uh, from internally within Microsoft. Obviously, he's head of Microsoft Gaming, and then like the general conversations he was having about Xbox, and then them just sort of realizing what state Redfall was in after it launched, and just sort of the emails that came out about like Spencer saying that like, what do we actually have? What are we actually leading with? Um, and it's like. I, it's so ambitious and it's so, like, in theory, it should be great to build this whole Game Pass library. We talked about it so much and it's like, I do like the idea of someone just paying a, a monthly fee and that gives you so many different games. Like, that would have been so good for us when we were younger. Like, I imagine the people who are growing up as gamers are just like, oh my god, I have so many things to play. And that's great. Um, but it just, it makes you wonder about the uh, monetization model itself. And, and to bring it back to what you said, does it, me- does it make those games feel more discardable? Like, I, it's so much easier to just hit, to just delete something off Game Pass because you have eight things at a time we talk about this quite a bit i think you know as in film and in gaming you think about how we used to make entertainment an event like you would have to go into town to buy something and it would Mm. be yours and you would own it whether that would be going to blockbuster and like getting your, (laughs) your movies in for the weekend or you, it, it's your birthday and you're going into town and you're going to pick up a video game for the first time and that forges a lot. Like, it's the reason why I remember stupid nonsense like Scooby-Doo Mystery Mayhem for the Xbox, <laughs> right? Joke. Because I went into town, I bought that game, I was excited to play it, I had it, mm-hmm. I owned it, and I played it a bunch, right? Mm-hmm. Are, are people forging these memories anymore? Is there a well, whole legacy uh, issue going on now? I'm getting very deep and existential now, Scott Taylor. No, but I, I think, think that's it's, fair. Yeah. Like, no, my, my thing is, like, I think you can still make those memories if it feels like a big enough event. Like, I mean, Elden Ring felt like an event. Like, that was, like, a big, big game. Spider-Man 2 feels like an event. That does come with, obviously, a big physical release. And you are seeing people share their collector's editions and 19 inches of Venom, etc. But I think if the if the game is big enough and the conversation is big enough, then it punches through and it becomes a, a point in time. Like, like I, I point to Elden Ring as just when everyone was talking about it. Like, every, like, casual friend I have who checks into games every now and then was asking if they should play it. And it felt like that crossed over to the mainstream. And it's... um. I think if it's big enough, then it crosses over. But it is that thing of just like where we don't incentivize physical purchases. We don't incentivize anything other than just pre preloading and playing at midnight. And I do love that. I love the immediacy of it. But I know exactly what you mean. It's like it's the same same thing. Like growing up, people would be like bragging about going to the midnight launch of like the new Halo or new Call of Duty or like oh waiting for the postman to get here on like launch day. Oh, is your copy coming? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, but now you can just literally press a button and it downloads and it's there to play. I don't know. It's weird. I feel like again I'm going into a whole old man yells at cloud. Thing, but if we're talking about like going back to the localization stuff as well like mm-hmm. the french language is one of the biggest most widely spoken languages on the planet and to just discard that again like i feel like there is a generational issue here i mean i'm not saying that gaming is is not going to be a part of people's lives or whatever because it's clearly mm-hmm. the mo- again continue to be the most profitable most biggest entertainment industry on the planet currently however mm-hmm. i do it, it does make me kind of anxious we, we've got all this new media coming in as well which is all very disposable and stuff how how are people how how what is gaming gonna look like like yeah exactly many years from now what where Mm -hmm. it's kind of i don't know it's um imagine people were having these exact same conversations and like the the bloody you know 80s 70s or whatever when we were moving and evolving with technology and different forms of media or whatever like television comes in the movie industry is like oh god but i do i do i am kind of just it's a curious time to be around. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, like that, like yeah, I imagine. Yeah, every previous decade would have would have mentioned whatever the big changing of the guard is. Never before, though, as far as I can 
think of, have we changed the fundamental transactional model at the heart of it? Like that's the big change now. And then the idea of you, you pay one monthly fee and you get a selection of games that are, and you're, you're assuming that they're curated um, you know, to give you sort of things that are worthwhile. And if that model doesn't work and then you have to increase the monthly amounts because that doesn't fund the, the titles in the right way, um, which, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of crossover with the TV models and the movie models where Netflix keep raising their prices. Disney Plus have gone up like three times this year. And it's just like, is that is that actually going to work out? I think the assumption was that they would lead with a lower price point and millions of people would come on board and it would it would sort itself out over time, but that just hasn't happened. Um, the general model I see people doing now with the monthly services is rotate through them. Like people have like one or two active at a time and then they just rotate. And it's like, at the minute I have everything, but I'm, I'm going to start being a rotator. Like I see that way more often now. Um, and it's like you save up the things you want to get. Like our own side does it. Like she'll wait and be like, okay, there's I want to watch Castlevania and uh, Fall of House of Usher or whatever. So I'll get Netflix for a month and I'll do all of it that month. Um, and that, to me, that does make more financial sense than just sort of sitting on it every month. And I, I wonder whether that's taken hold as well. But like fundamentally, that transactional model is the thing that's changed, I think. And it's like, it's not unless you get someone like Sony putting so much marketing money into Spider-Man 2 that you don't have those big events, like you said, whether you're playing at midnight or you're picking it up on the, on the launch day or whatever. Um, but yeah, what are the biggest conversation in gaming? That is like the bigger, the big overall thing is what the hell model does customers actually want from their games? Um, and then how does that match up with the budget? and the expectations um, but yeah just an interesting, interesting thing to throw in from the um, French outlet Ludustria um, but yeah also you mentioned before AI stuff in games this is the next big talking point um, people might have heard of a game called The Finals um, this is made by a bunch of ex-Battlefield devs and it is ostensibly just a big um, competition sort of um, what hell would you call it reality like, uh, game show focused themed like FPS with lots of destruction and stuff gameplay wise it's yeah. like, very impressive as a, speaking as a Battlefield fan yeah, yeah. If you're a fan of the term Levolution, there's a lot of yeah, uh, that sort of stuff. Or Red Faction's old uh, Geomod mm. technology where you can bring a literal building or the, the roof down on top of someone. Great to hammer kill. in that game. We should do, are we doing yes. a, we do a list on the best hammers in video games. Best hammers? Um, no, we've done um, we did best shotguns. Mate, we I don't do the best hammers. Best Gravity <laughs> hammer? The Red Faction <laughs> hammer? Oh my god, from Halo. Yeah, yeah the big Gravity yeah, hammer. Yeah. That's a big that's a big shot. You've also got Thor's hammer as well. Yeah. Yeah, we might have to do best hammer. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. 
But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director, Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. God of Hammers. Um, but yeah, so the finals uh, is a big battlefield type thing. Very much, very tech focused. Very much showing off what you can do when you sync together all that destructive tech at once. And it looks really, really awesome. A lot of very um, good buzz around it. Apparently the Steam version, the PC version, um, has maxed out its servers. That many people are trying to play it. However, one of the realities of getting it over the finish line has been relying on AI voice work. And it sounds terrible. It's blown up amongst, obviously, a lot of the developing community, a lot of the uh, voice actors, etc. And this is written up by IGN, who um, brought across some of the quotes from audio designer Andreas, um, who doesn't have a full name, he's just called Andreas, um, saying that we use AI with a few exceptions. So all the contestant voices, like the box, and both our commentators are AI text-to-speech. For things that we call vocalizations, like player breathing, vaulting, jumping, etc., that's something we use us in the studio to record, just grunting. We can't get the AI to perform those kinds of tasks yet now but <laughs> can't replace actors... a classic Ugh. no apparently not apparently not right now and um, so you had various um <laughs> various actors have weighed in on this um but voice actor kit harrison who's in uh, ghost runner 2 which just came out um said what really sticks with me is that they needed to bring in real actors to get the grunting effort and breathing sounds because the ai can't do it it can't replicate the noise that i make when i stand up from my chair but it wants to take my job don't make me laugh um, this is a whole thing. Like I tell you, I was mentioning to you before we started recording that one of the it's like low key terrifying things that I've seen recently is the Google Pixel oh, advert. Don't get me. Started. And I know that saying that out loud is going to trigger the algorithm to show me it after I've done this podcast, but. In that thing, they have a, um, a program called One Take or True Take or something like that. And you can take a photo of someone. And even if they're not looking at the lens, it AI fixes it so they are. And it's almost like the, the horror movie Smile where everyone started, suddenly does the most forced smile at the camera. And I was like, oh, this is just in a mainstream advert. This is just out there. A level, a level of acceptance has now been forced upon people. And like, I don't know, that kind of freaked me out. Like there's a wider conversation about AI implementation in video games, but... Thoughts on all this It's stuff. just a complete lack of being able to have a candid moment, isn't it? Like, I hate, yeah. hate, hate that advert because, like, it's literally a case of you've, you've taken an imperfect moment and that is what life is. Like, it should mm -hmm. be imperfect. Like, I hate... I'll go into a whole thing with that. I, <laughs> I really... AI as a topic is something that really boils my blood. Specifically for something like this, which, you know... I don't want to be particularly nasty to people on this mm. podcast, but it is truly hack behavior from these developers to say mm. that, or to even make the art, like to be, to embrace AI in this form, because it is putting people up, like it's putting actors out of a job and having yeah. listened to the audio, Scott Tailford, oh, they're they've done it's a, absolutely, it's, there is no sense of cadence 
it is absolutely stupid. Um, and the <laughs> fact that they're like, oh, we would have used it for the grunts, but we can't do that. And like this, the, just that in itself really frustrates me. And it frustrates me the most of all here because I feel like AI as a force in creativity, mm-hmm. most of that push has come from people on social media who I kind of feel are really bitter and jealous about people who are talented. And they look at something... <laughs> something being created uh, and they look at that and go well that needs to be replaced because i can't do it and it rather than something that's like looking at that and thinking about all the hours and dedication and training and whatever that someone has put into you know make their craft and do it Mm -hmm. properly for me it comes across as overly like cynical just bitter jealous kind of i can i can create this ridiculous ai creature and look at how good it is and usually nine times out of ten it looks terrible anyway yeah um so for the fact for this to come from actual video game developers who are making a game or whatever, that to me is so depressing because mm-hmm. you should have as a game developer an idea of like, well, I want to use the word camaraderie here, but even just collaboration, like you are literally like voice actors here are, are integral to the experience being developed. Yes. Um, it sounds appalling. It sounds terrible. And mm-hmm. It does make me. If I was a voice actor, I mean, we 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 do voiceovers in our job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I kind of get a little bit anxious when I'm looking at like a TikTok or an Instagram reel where it's like, here is the AI voice, and I feel like we're <laughs> being conditioned as people to accept stupid AI text to speech, and mm-hmm. like obviously text to speech has really vital uses, you know, for for like people with like disabilities and stuff like that. That, that I'm not I'm not raiding against that. No, of but I'm what I'm what I'm getting at here is when it is like. We are we are normalizing and accepting this and taking work away from people, and it doesn't even sound good. And no. I still think, yeah, ultimately, it's just shocking to me that this is coming from like actual video game developers because to me, like, and I, I don't think they need to rely on this as well. If you can't get voice actors in your game, then don't have voice actors. You should budget I for think, this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So my thing is just like how much it, it's always case by case. Like I think it's it's when it feels fundamentally dehumanizing or you're extracting the humanity from what should have been a collaborative effort. Um, it was like because a couple of the things that came to mind when you were talking was uh, Lord of the Rings Gollum used ChatGPT to generate their apology, <laughs> and it's like that's just hilarious. I mean the state of that thing, of course. Um, another example was um, Cyberpunk 2077. I forget the name of the character. Um, it's the guy, it's the Ripper Doc that helps you out at the very very beginning. Um, that actor passed away. Um, CDPR said they had enough voice lines from that guy to make a voice pack and then they signed that off with the family to do more stuff with him that's an interesting test case as to i i'm, I'm weird with that stuff because it's always just like what would he have wanted you when, when, do we, when do we let people go i mean again yeah, like, exactly, i can't speak because yeah. i'm not i don't have i don't know who that voice actor is i'm not involved in the development obviously it would be way more emotional for people involved in that game and they got the family's mm-hmm. permission and stuff but this comes down to the fact that like i know james l jones has literally signed off to have his voice to use for darth vader for a while but like right. back in 2008 we had a guy who voiced darth vader fine as an impression and it didn't like I, it's it's the, the inability to like to, you know keep people with digital constructs and turn them into brand rather than mm-hmm. people like yeah, but sorry, sorry for interrupting. No, 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 absolutely, man. I think, well, I think, like, again, like, it's, it's one of those big, big conversations. Because another thing as well is that, like, I use AI every day. Like, a lot of people do, and they just don't realize it. Like, a lot of the, um, like, it should be, it, and as a tool as well. Like, and it should be a tool. I remember the conversation um, when Speedtree was introduced into gaming way back in, like, 2007, 2008. The idea that you could click a button and generate a forest. And there was a similar conversation then about, like, oh, but shouldn't we be designing every single, every single part of this? And then it was all the different parameters that you could input into Speedtree to generate 
generate um, environments because it's just such a labor-intensive thing to design an entire open world when you could just give it a first pass and then go in and tweak it from there. And the philosophy is quite similar to where we're at now in terms of like, it, it depends on what the um, utility is. But I remember that conversation as well. And Speedtree was quite, was a bit of a thing, not for that long, but it was a similar conversation. And now it's just accepted. If you're making an open world game, you're making something that needs a lot of forestation, you can generate those forests, you can generate that stuff. Same with um, various other parts of landscapes as well. And that's a tool. And like I said, I use it every day because we use Photoshop all the time, like for the thumbnails on the um, on the YouTube and everything. There are content fill algorithm stuff in there. Like, and it's only gotten better over time. A lot of the, one of the reasons that this thing kicked off so much is because you can pick any space on an image and just say, fill this. And I'm hand making 99% of what we do. But if I'm filling in the corner of an image or whatever it is, I can just hit the button and generate it. And it's easier than, ha- it just saves me five, 10 minutes of my day or whatever. And so that thing of like using AI to boost the overall vision, I'm, I'm not, well, I'm more fine with that. It's just always going to be case That's by case. That's it as a tool, isn't it? It's augmentation. Mm. You are helping someone be more, if you want to boil it down to the mm. pure cold capitalism, you're making someone more efficient <laughs> at their jobs, aren't you? Like, yeah. you know, it, you know, someone would have designed different trees and like put them on like that. I understand that. For me, it's mm-hmm. literally like it's it's the it's excising the human element entirely and replacing yeah. it. And the idea that it doesn't sound bad is baffling to me. Yeah, and it's, like for me, like the, the weird talking point, which um, which obviously isn't game related, but it was that pixel advert where I just sort of realized like, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was going to be something else that would reveal like you know the ongoing conversation about AI. But it was like, nah, Google's just pushing ahead with this stuff. And then um, and then you have it in various video games, and it just it is a big talking point. I think it's weird. Um, just the people who actively advocate for it, like the the general, and I'd be fascinated to talk to those people. Like, it's, and I get the the weird sort of sci-fi bent to it, where if you've been brought up on certain movies or certain visions of sci-fi futures, you're like, oh look how cool this is, and it's like. I don't, I don't personally think it's cool. I'm like, oh, I guess, look what this particular piece of software or algorithm can spit out. Look at that. But the second you start saying it's more important than an actual human life, that's the, weird. The thing that I get from the big AI advocates, and I'm talking about AI and art here, is that mm-hmm. it's always got a kind of malicious intent behind it (laughs) there is always some sort of thing like i did this and like we can replace artists and we can do this and you know uh it only took me x amount of hours and i made this Mm -hmm. this thing and blah 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 it it always when you when actual artists respond to that with anxiety and they're they're met with like you know (laughs) frothing anger from like the (laughs) ai people it all just comes across to me as being like I don't know. It feels... I can't imagine wanting to do a pursuit in life, Scott, that Mm. I wanted to half-ass. Like, if I I wanted to tomorrow um, really get back into doing drawing again, because I did that when I was younger and then I kind of lost a passion for it, Mm. I wouldn't go, okay, I'm going to get this AI software that I'll put a prompt in and it'll draw me say the word landscape and, 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 and claim yeah. it is mine like that to me is baffling there's no endeavor there there's no mm. there's no whatever and like same same as writing like i love writing when i get into the right headspace once you break <laughs> down the wall can be hard sometimes but mm-hmm. again like i can't ima- i don't understand this, the the creative satisfaction and to me i think it's just non-creative people treating art as if it's a maths problem and not right. something that, and again, that boils into even larger conversations that we've yeah. got, like politically at the moment, with the idea of like humanity subjects being devalued, the idea of like science and technology and maths being like the, the big focus in schools or whatever. 
mm-hmm. it's lead, it's it's an act of cultural vandalism like it, it genuine, <laughs> genuinely genuinely yeah. is um that, well the thing yeah. is like that that idea of like you said like trying to quantify quality trying to put numbers into expression like that is so endemic of where we're at across the border we mentioned so many tv and movie models before netflix and everything else david zaslav and bob Iger being in charge so much and for so long um does commodify and make numeracies out of expression and it's like and you but you see them all fail like it's one of those things where it's always oh you can't fight progression you can't fight progress and it's that's always an interesting conversation because it has to be retrospective when we're in the moment there's there's all the space to push back on certain things like NFTs for <laughs> one month in the sun. It was like, oh my God, this is the future of, for the same people, that's the future of ownership. Oh my God, this is what this is. Power to the people, everything else. Completely failed, completely went away <clears throat> because it wasn't progress. Um, and it's it's just one of those things where is AI implementation the actual thing that sticks or is it just the, the weird thorny conversation for now? I imagine it'll settle in the way that it has for over a decade now where it's a tool to help artists. Um, because as someone, like I said, who makes artwork all day long or is part of my job, um, it is just easy to click a button and fill that background thing in. But I'm not replicating the angle, the bulk of what I'm putting out there. It has to still feel human. I just don't know if it's just my general complete personal thoughts on it, but I'm just, I'm too humanist. I'm too in love with the natural world. I care too much about living things to um, to care about a, a synthetic replacement. I chemically do not care about that. I can't. Yeah, I, t- I completely agree. And, and for, what it, <laughs> for what it's worth with this game, I'm not going to be checking it out at all. I, right. I, I, oh, I would have been interested, but I will not be looking at it if, if this AI thing is like a regular feature. And then to be fair, the guy's put his, 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 his he's shown his ass to everyone <laughs> here by saying, oh, you know, we, we would have done it for grunts, but we couldn't even do that. So clearly there's no moral quandary for him with implementing mm-hmm. these things. It's not even like it's a placeholder or anything. So that, to me, mm-hmm. shows their attitudes to artists. So I am yeah, completely out. That's completely fair. I've already played it, but it was, one, it was before I read the rest of this stuff. Um, and the thing is, like, the, the way that game is presented, because it is, like, a big over-the-top game show, I found so much of it to be quite discordant anyway. Um, and the cadence, like you said, and the voice acting and everything, it is very just phoned in 101 i kind of thought that's what they were going for but it seems like they're trying to do it genuinely rather than ironically um but yeah gameplay is solid enough but i think it's a it is a fascinating talking point especially with this many people playing it how many people um notice for one and then how many people like does it kind of succeed elsewhere kind of thing because that's at the heart of it i like the idea of a bunch of ex-developers of a major corporation breaking off and doing their own thing and it's like that's kind of a whole other wrinkle to it as well um, next big old talking point is Dead Space 3. Um, interview with writer and co-producer Chuck Beaver saying that they weren't allowed to make a horror game from the beginning um, from EA. And if given the choice, he would redo the entire project if given the chance. And this is written up over on Eurogamer. Um, Beaver, sa- Beaver said that he would keep the lore that you find out in the game and have partner Ellie there, but in a different relationship with Isaac. But he would redo the entire main story. And um, reiterates that the team weren't allowed to uh, make a horror game from the beginning. So the plan with what they went, or they ended up, what they ended up doing was uh, trying all these different things that would expand into other gameplay genres but all those bits together not only didn't generate a new audience but they lost the old audience too um, just a talking point around Dead Space I finished Dead Space 3 there are parts of Dead Space 3 that I genuinely love but I, I there's bits of it that are completely invisible um, I know you've not played it but like general because you played 1 and 2 yeah, general two. thoughts on, on two, the yeah. state of it yeah I mean it's it's sad isn't it I think we, I remember this being a massive talking point was it 2012 2013 oh, yeah. 2012, 2012, 2012? I, think, yeah. I remember this being a huge thing at the time and it did feel so aberrant given the tone and direction <laughs> of the previous two games I mean I'm always there for co-op experiences but it definitely mm. felt more like Army of Two than, yeah, than, yeah. than Dead Space. And yeah, the yeah. fact that they were given that directive from EA, I mean, what else can you say? It's 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 just another <laughs> case of like people having a thing and not knowing 
what the thing was made was for. Such a <laughs> such a uh, gear gears ch- ch- chase gears of war. Everything was ch- chase cod for a bit, but it was chase gears as well. Just Mass Effect. Just put a co- put more cover system stuff into it. Make it more like gears. Make it more actually. Mass Effect Three and Dead Space Three um, are two of the worst examples of that. And obviously they're both EA um, and both shook out in much the same way with the devs not being allowed to do the thing they wanted to do. Um, Mass Effect Three has millions of other issues too, but still, um, yeah, Dead Space Three's case. Um, it's interesting because right now they've just remade Dead Space One earlier this year, and it went on really, really well as a, a sort of like solid modernization of what went before. But even I think it's a fascinating test case as a remake because they added voice acting, they changed the level layouts, they added different systems to it um, in terms of like where you want to spend your power as you go through the levels. You can choose to have lights on or you can choose to have a motion sensor or whatever it is. And I was like, that's a great innovation for a horror survival horror game. Um, and obviously the conversation is, do they do Dead Space 2 and 3? And a lot of the rumors at the minute are that they won't um, overhaul them because Dead Space 2 and 3 are more modern anyway. And you would just maybe uptick the graphics or whatever. But if you've got one of the writers and co-producers saying, look, I would redo it. I wonder if, because Dead Space 1 sold so much, it was a 70 pound game from EA. Um, you know, Do they end up kind of course correcting and doing the version they should have done because we're in a different time now? That's a fascinating question, isn't it? Because I, I mean, we've had, oh. we've had like solo remakes we've not had like a well i mean to be fair resident evil stands out as the series of remakes so yeah i mean mm. resident evil's laid the groundwork for this so i mean i think if it, if it sold well and people love dead space 2 it makes sense to do that and then they can look mm. back at dead space 3 maybe right their wrongs yeah I, I think that would make plenty of sense there's more impetus for that remake than most other remakes that have been you know announced or have come yeah, out yeah yeah I, that's another thing. I mean, this is like a, a general idea. I don't know what you come down on this, but for me, the more disastrous the attempt, the more like value there is in potentially course correcting it. If there was all, if there's something, was if there was something there in the first place, if there was a soul there that's worth sort of um, resurrecting or whatever. Because, like I said, there's bits of Dead Space Three that I love. It, the very, very, the very, very beginning is terrible. That's the bit where it's just a straight up gears game. Um, but the bit when you're in the in space and it's almost more open world and you're choosing which bits to go to first and which side missions to do and try and find different people to save and everything that idea of like a more open area dead space is more like arkham city where it's like you're going to levels but you have a interconnected space that's a really really cool idea and so i wonder if they would do something like that but yeah when you come down on like that idea of resurrecting a, a broken thing yeah no i think that's i think there's, there's if it's got a cool premise behind it then absolutely mm. go for it because we know all too often in this industry that that games are a lot on plenty of occasions um haven't been given enough time to really flesh out and mm-hmm. you know come out and be the best thing that they were we've had a lot of you know the last generation of consoles i feel was very much like the the story of the video game comeback you think of stuff like battlefield mm-hmm. 4 battlefront 2 um you know i'm missing a bunch of others here games that released in poor states but then you know went on to kind of turn it around and mm-hmm. and, and make a comeback yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Like, I would love to see more of this happen. Like, I, I, I like games being given a second chance, and because mm-hmm. not only does it, you know, it, it shows that what was there, there was there was a compelling premise behind it for existing. Mm-hmm writing video game injustices that's probably like there should just be a video game developer d- dedicated to that and who like <laughs> like lend their services to different publishers like they're the a team of of, of I was just like the bunch of EMTs. Yeah, yeah yeah like it's just you know they, they've got like the cigar going everywhere as well <laughs> 
<laughs> the thing is, like, with the likes, obviously the big big two are No Man's Sky and now Cyberpunk. And even Cyberpunk was, like, written off. It's like, there's no way you can bring this thing back. It's just so disastrous. Even though I always love that game, but I get it. Um, but it's one of those things where if you were in those planning meetings saying, like, look, as soon as we announce a Dead Space 3 remake, the general response is going to be, oh, God, get it away from me. That was terrible in the first place. But then navigating that marketing and just saying, well, we're making a Dead Space 3 for a new audience and whatever, and then pointing to the, the biggest catastrophes that were overturned, like, I, I would love that. So we're getting to the point now in the Resident Evil remake series where we're getting to the games that were kind of more divisively received. Um, yeah. We're certain we're going to get a Resident Evil 5 and 6 remake? Well, that's the thing, right? I was talking to Sai about this, because like, I I want them to... Because the thing with those new remakes is that they've unified the timeline, they've, they, and they've unified the tone as well. Like, I, Obviously, they've got retrospect, they've got hindsight, so they have they have a way of doing, okay, this is what we should have always done kind of thing. And I think Resident Evil 3 is like a massive disappointment, and mainly because it just does feel like glorified DLC. But RE4 is incredible. And it's one of those things where I think you could do an RE5 um, with most of the tone that RE4 like sort of changed around. Like The new RE4 is nowhere near as goofy as the original, um, even though it does have those elements in there too. And so like 5 and 6 is the one that I really want to see redone because I think 6 has some great ideas in there. Like There are so many different characters you play as. They all play differently, um, and they're all tapping into different strands of what was RE's identity at the time, um, which felt like Capcom's way of just saying, we have no idea what we are anymore. <laughs> we've also... We've, We've chased Gears of War too much with, like, five and the cover shooting stuff. Um, but then we also do survival horror with Leon. And so, like, I want them to try uh, six again. I don't know what you do for Jake Wesker's stuff where he just punches zombies in the face. But I, they can maybe figure it out. Um, but, yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good thing to hold up as well. Because where Resident Evil is in the remake timeline, it's right on the cusp of when they effed it up last time. And so, like, I, I hope they do at least RE5. Um, and just commit to what I just need to see to that be. boulder punching redone, man. I want to see because <laughs> you have to commit to the bit. There's no way you like. I feel like if you do like a snarky DMC hair esque joke with that, mm. it's not going to land. Just commit to the oh, boulder. Commit to the boulder, man. Commit to it. Well, the thing that new new Chris Redfield is like a tank, so it kind of makes yeah, more yeah. sense because he had such a he was inflated between like old. Introduce the backstory. Was like I trained for years to beat my ultimate opponent. My parents were killed in a boulder accident or something like that. <laughs> and these the thing is like um, at the end of RE4, like in the original, you, we sh- they show Wesker and like I'm pr- I think he's way more in the separate ways DLC where you play as Ada Wong. I've not done that yet, um, but they are they clearly are going forward with something. So it's like yeah, that's going to be another test case. And if, if EA wants to be safe about it, then they can hang back and see how people um, respond to the announcement of a remake of RE6 because um, it seems like that's the direction we're going in but yeah fascinating stuff in regards to um, course correcting or going with things that were so trend chasey at the time and then trying to do a more considered version of it now um, for now though this has been the wind up I've been Scott Taylor that's been you and Patterson boy <laughs> thank you to all of you for listening and we'll catch you very soon goodbye Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.